I'm going to just kind of start off by telling you a little bit about myself. A little bit, you, you, by this story, you'll know a little bit about me in some ways. Um, when I was young, I wanted a duck. Now, I had a dog, and uh, my parents, I don't remember the whole, how, how we all got it, but somehow, I think it was a pet store or something, they had this little duck, and we bought the duck. And I, we took it home, and uh, I got to name the duck. So I named the duck, Duck. And, and I had the duck 11 years, this duck. And we dug a hole in the backyard and put water in it, and that was its bond. And, uh, and, and the duck was my friend. We, uh, and, and, uh, and, but the duck was territorial. The duck wanted to know that anybody that came into our backyard, it was the duck's backyard. And so she would, um, she would attack anything that came in the backyard. And in fact, my, our dog stayed away from her. <laughs> and our neighbors had 19 cats, I remember specifically. And uh, they kind of breeded cats, and they had cats all the time. And cats were all over, their cats were all over the neighborhood but they never came in our backyard. Because whenever a cat came in the backyard, that duck went after them. And, uh, and when I'd bring my friends over, I would, well, I wouldn't tell them that the duck was territorial and, uh, and the duck was strategic. It would wait. And I would kick, sit back and just watch and laugh because we had a ping pong table in our backyard and people would eventually get to the ping pong table and somebody would get there and the duck would get under that table and about the time they're ready to serve or what have you, the duck would bite them strategically, you know, just about where it could reach. And they would scream and I would laugh and the duck was, you know, in charge. Except I'm the boss. So every once in a while the duck would come after me. And when the duck came after me, I gave her this whack on the beak, just about turn her head around. I'd hit, hit her, in the head, and she would just, and she would leave me alone for a while, you know. And we'd, we're friends. I mean, we did, she'd do this thing with her, with her head, and we'd kind of dance in the backyard. So, but, but every once in a while, I had to show her she wasn't in charge. I was, Right? Right now, there are politicians who think they're the duck and are saying they believe that they have a right to tell the church what to do. But the politicians do not have authority. The church is under the authority of Jesus Christ. It is not under the authority of politicians. So the ducks raise their ugly head and keep trying to tell us when we can worship, how we can worship, you can't sing in church, all these things that the, the, the duck is constantly trying to tell us. And we have to, at some point, smack the duck and tell the duck, you're not in charge. Jesus is in charge and we don't respond. Now, Listen, what we've done, and from the very beginning, you know, I've made this statement, that when we closed down the church, we didn't close it because the government told us. In fact, 
They had told us the week before we couldn't meet. We met anyhow. We made decisions based upon what we felt was safe, the safest thing to do for our congregation. It's always been that way. It's always been, listen, I'm here to serve you, not the government. And I'm here to make decisions by God's grace under his authority. And we've made decisions at times. I mean, we've closed down. We opened up. We, 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 we um, did our, you know, social distancing in order to make sure that there were, you know, we're doing some things that, that we believe were good too. Now, it's hard to believe anything that's out there. I'm sorry, but the government has already, in fact, I completely distrusted them when the CDC said that you should never wear a mask. And, and they told us that only to tell us later that they told us that so that there would be enough masks for the caregivers. And we understand, and I thought, well, having enough for the caregivers is a good thing. But to lie, if they're willing to lie to us, rather than just tell us the truth, then how can I trust anything they say, including the, the whole death rate and all of that kind of stuff? I cannot trust them, and I don't think you, want, you trust them either fully. So we have to kind of, we kind of have to navigate through that and see what, you know, what it seems like is the best scenario and do those things that are safest for our, 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 our congregation. I'm not a doctor. I do listen I listen to what they're saying. Um, and so we have determined way back that we're going to do an outdoor service. We started that ahead of time. We planned on doing it. We planned on doing it through the summer anyhow. And even when we open up, we're going to have an outdoor service because some of you feel better and safer in your car or out here. And that's great. We want that. But we're not making decisions because of that. And, and the other reason, you know, and... And I, and I think we have some good ground on it. First of all, um, that the, our president said that church is an essential um, business. So we're, we are essential. The other, thing, the other thing is, listen, if you can get in a, I can go here to Orange County, get on an airplane with 300 other people, no one's social distancing, there is no such thing as social distancing in an airplane. And they, even some of the airplanes aren't even doing the center seat anymore, leaving it open. But even if they did, there's no church that is seated tighter than an airplane, right? So they can put 300 people and say, that's fine, but you can't put people in a church to worship because it's a church. Now, in my opinion, that's bigotry. In my opinion, that is an attack on the church. And unless they're fair, I don't even want to listen to them. I don't want to hear when, how much they say you can or not have. I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> but <clears throat> my reaction is not a counteraction to them either. I'm not listening to them one way or the other. I'm not going to respond to what opposite of what they say because they say it. That doesn't make sense. Jesus is the head, and the opposite of what they say isn't the answer to everything either. But we have, are under a church, uh, attack. The church is under attack, and we need to be aware of it. You know, I was listening to a video, uh, one of our church, a couple of actually our, our council members sent to me, 
Uh, it's, by, it's a video of Pastor Bob McCoy. He's the pastor of God Speak uh, Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks. And some of you might know the story. But they were taken to court by the county. The, the county has said that they are meeting illegally. And they have chosen, as some other churches have, to go into the building and not social distance. They said, we're just going to do church. And they made a decision to do that. Masks are op optional. They do that. And it's their choice. And I, and I applaud them if they believe that's what God is calling them to do. And they're willing to take responsibility of what happens. That's for that church. That's what, if I agree with them doing that or don't agree, it doesn't matter. They have a right to do it. They are a church. They have a right to, to do it. You do not have a constitutional right to get in an airplane and go on vacation. It's not constitutional right. But you have a constitutional right to go to church and worship how you choose. That's in the Constitution. And we have to stand for the Constitution. Now, there are several of our members of our church that are right now, and with my blessing, I, I didn't have to bless them. They do it if they want to or not. But with my blessing, they're at Godspeed Church. They drove all the way down to Thousand Oaks, and they're there today because they're, the, the court threatened them and told them that the first thousand people who show up are going to get a citation, and, uh, and, and they're, they're going to, uh, and including the pastor, and, and everybody there, the first thousand people are getting a citation. So people all over the area are going to go to Godspeed Church, and I'm glad to, to, that they're doing that, and I support them doing that, and I hope thousands and thousands of people show up and the police are able to just go, hey, you know, we don't know what to do. And that's the way it needs to be. There is a place for civil disobedience, folks. There is a place for that. We find that, in fact, Peter himself said, I, it's, I, would, I will obey God rather than man. That was civil disobedience when he said, I will preach the gospel whether you tell me to or not. It started way back there. So I, I believe in it at certain times. Our church has, been, has, has taken a stand in the past. It was costly for us. I remember when, when the issue was uh, about pro-life and, and when for a, a season of time there was, churches, there was churches gathering together, some churches, and going down and blocking uh, abortion clinics to try to save lives. And we saved a lot of lives. And some of you might have been around at that time. It was a long time ago for our church. We were, we were in the center of that much of the leadership of that movement was from our congregation. We went thousands, you know, we would come, and at first it was, there was a large group of people. There'd be several thousand there. And I remember uh, calling and asking pastors around Orange County and just asking, hey, would you guys join us? Would you at least let your congregation know, support us? Because we could shut down and I knew then we could shut down the abortion clinics in, in Orange County. My, my own daughters came, and we, they, we, they would lock arms with us as we would do that. We wanted to save lives. We believed there was a, that somebody had to stand up for the unborn, 
and civil disobedience and out and we were told and if the church would have agreed but i had pastors saying well we don't believe in civil disobedience listen our our entire nations was started with civil disobedience you understand so but there were pastors who said they didn't want to do that they're just about preaching the gospel and in the meantime now what 70 million babies have have died and california is a killing field and if pastors would have stood up and they had a little bit of guts and i'm i'm telling you pastors that i respect for the gospel but they had no backbone then didn't weren't willing to do it and uh and quite fr frankly, it dwindled, and there was only a few churches then. And then when there was a smaller group, what the court did is they started hitting us with heavy, um, uh, you know, uh, sentences. Instead of just, like, fines. Like, you would go, normally, if somebody was, that was the case, they would pay a $20 fine or so. They were given one-year sentences for being, we had one girl, uh, one of our worship leaders in, in the church, they broke her arm, and they, and they gave her a year sentence. And so the, what it did is it just, the, you know, people were going, we're the only ones getting hit. We can't sustain this. And if we had the crowds, it wouldn't, it, they, they could not have done it. And when we had the crowds, but they started to dwindle, less people would come. And pretty soon when you only have a couple hundred people there, they can arrest a couple hundred. They can't arrest 20,000. And the church was weak. And we can't be weak. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving my, my thing on it. And if you choose, and right now in Orange County, we're, we're, it seems like they're not even bothering us. So if we want to go and, you know, nobody's showing up as far as I know. And, and if there is a church in Orange County that meets and they come after them, I want us to be right there to support them any way we can. And if you feel comfortable and you, you feel you know, I mean, this is up to you in that. I, I'm not asking you to do it. But if you feel comfortable going like and, and going to the, that church when it's, when it's being attacked and supporting it, I'm with you. I'm with you in that. And Sunday morning, if you even go on a Sunday morning, just watch us online afterward, all right? Don't miss the service. But, but if you're going to do that. But I'm just, I, I, I think we, folks, um, the church, if we get, what we give now will only be the step for what they'll take next time. You understand? If we give ground now, they'll take advantage of it. They think they can get away with anything. They think they can just tell us when we can worship, when we can't worship. And, and it's all because of the COVID thing. But they're not consistent. Airplanes are leaving right now. There, there, there's a couple churches that went, one went in a Walmart and one went in a in a, um, uh, a Home Depot and had service. I love it. Yeah, they just went, walked in there. They all gathered together. They had church right there. Because you can, you can go there. You can't go to church. Their inconsistency and hypocrisy, I think then we have to stand up against that. We can't let it happen. All right? Are you with me? <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Okay, I took enough time on that. Let's get in God's word. And uh, in Jonah chapter 4, but actually Jonah chapter 4, to get it, you got to start in the last verse of chapter 3. And, um, and I'm going to pray. Father, I pray for your guidance and your anointing, your help as we share your word. 
Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I also forgot to say hi to all of you who are watching online. And, uh, you know, right now, God has used this in such a way that, you know, right now, there are twice as many people who are watching our services both online and, and in person than we had when we just had it here in, in, in church. We've already had twice as many on Sunday and three times as many on Wednesday night as we normally have. So God's good. And I'm um, hearing more stories of people who are, who are joining in that haven't been in, in the past. Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 says this, Then God saw their works, that, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. So God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell them they're going to be destroyed, preach to Nineveh. Jonah goes to Tarshish. He, he, gets, he gets thrown off the boat. He gets swallowed by a great fish, prepared by God for him. He's thrown up on the shore, and then he goes and preaches to Nineveh, and he, you know, and he preaches that they're going to be destroyed in 40 days, and they have this awakening and they they all start saying you know and they repent they fast they they you know do do sackcloth they do ashes on themselves and they they're asking and they're 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 um they're saying perhaps god might not destroy us let's you know let's repent maybe god won't destroy us in that hopeful possibility they believe what he said and because they believed and they repented, God relented. You see, when sinners repent, God relents. And that's what happened. And God says, I'm not going to destroy them now. But folks, this is the heart of God being revealed. God, some, some people, in fact, there are critics of the Bible who will tell you, and they, they, they're, they're so-called theologians, They'll tell you that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament, the God is harsh and angry and, and, uh, and you know, judging. And, and the God of the New Testament is, you know, Jesus loving and caring and compassionate. And the fact is, the, it's the same God. But the, the, what they don't see, in fact, that's what Jesus came to do. He came to show us what... The, who, the, who God is in, in flesh and blood. So he came to show us, what, he's, he's the express image of the Father. And, and when he teaches, he taught us that, that if you have a different view than what Jesus taught us about the Father of the Old Testament, we have the wrong view. And people will do this. Religious people will take judgment and they want to oppress others with judgment, but they forget about the grace and the mercy. And the grace and mercy is all through the Old Testament. The same God that, that died on the cross is the God of the Old Testament as well. And, and uh, God, God has this, had this wonderful plan. And you see it here in the mercy and grace of God in Jonah. This story shows us God's mercy and his grace and his love that he has for people. But it also shows what he, what he will go to to, make, to to reach a lost soul. 
what God will do. You know, the Bible says in uh, Luke 19, it said, Jesus said, I, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. Seek and save. See, he, he's initiating. He's seeking. He's looking out. He's finding. He wants to see who he can save. He, who, who is he go, seeking? Those who are lost. And if you're lost, he's after you. He wants you. He's for you. See, the heart of God is to reach as many people as possible. That's always been the heart and plan of God. As many people as he can save, he will save. Now, understand this. In the, the decisions and in the sovereignty of God, in his sovereign actions that he does, he does it for the purpose of, of saving as the maximum amount of people as possible. I really believe that the maximum amount of people that could be saved on earth is happening because of God's plan. That God gave us free will, and our free will is to go against God. Our free will is, to, is, is counter God. We, we, we go our own way. We've all, the Bible says, have gone astray. We're all together unrighteous. We are separated from God because of our sin. And without without um, thwarting our free will, without um, bypassing our free will. And that's the only way that we could love God is to have a free will. And the only way that God could have a relationship with us is to have a free will. And in a free will, a world with free will, if God was not, you know, there, there's no other plan the way I see it. There's no other plan that could have been, uh, you know, that could have been uh, come upon. There's nothing that God could have done to get more people saved than what he is getting saved in a world that is full of sin and without free will. And the, the purpose or the way in which God has chosen to do it is through his emissaries, his ambassadors, us, the body of Christ, were the way it happened. Jesus said, I, you know, I have to leave. I have to go to the Father because he needs this. I, you know, I, I need to send the Holy Spirit because greater works will you do than I will do. If Jesus was here today, if he, he never died and, and he had a way of saving us and he lived here, he could not do as much as what he, the way he did it. He left so the Holy Spirit could come in, in us and God's people then are to respond to God's call. And when we respond and we do what God asks us to do, then the most amount of people will get saved. And we see that in this story. That's what God is doing. He has chosen you to bring the gospel so the most amount of people can be saved. Now, here's the problem with Jonah. It said this in verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Now, he became angry because he, 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 you know, you have to remember, let's, let's recall this about Nineveh. They're the most cruel people. I don't think there's ever been more cruel people. I mean, they're at the top of the list. There are other cruel uh, people in the world, but they are at the top of the list of cruelty. The way in which they would go in. They'd go into a, a town and not just invade it, not just take what it had, not just kill the people, but torture the people. They devised ways of torture. In fact, 
they devised the first kind of um, kind of crucifixion. It, it wasn't a, a clear crucifixion like the Romans had, but they were they devised the most cruel ways in their time of of, uh, of killing people and torturing people. They they would they would literally. Um, they would li- literally take their skin off while they were alive. They would skin them alive and take, in fact, if you went to Nineveh, and, and, uh, and ar- ar- um, uh, historians will tell, it, tell you that they would take human skins and place them on the walls around the city. They would, they would behead head them, and they would torture them before they killed them. This is a cruel, and it, this is why when, when um, Jonah is told told to go to Nineveh, you understand? He despises these people. These are the worst scum on earth. And yet God says, go to Nineveh, and, and, and here's the problem. Jonah knows God. If he didn't know God, he would, he would have easily gone to Nineveh. Understand, Jonah knows God, and this is what he said. In verse 2, it says, And he prayed to the Lord and says, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. He's saying, this is the very reason. I knew it. I knew you. I know who you are. And I knew there's, this was going to happen. So he had had a conversation that we don't read about in the, the earlier chapters. But he had had a conversation with God and said, God, I don't want to go because I know you're gracious and I know you're merciful. And I don't like going to that place because they might repent and then you'll forgive them. So I'm not going. See, it wasn't that he didn't know God. He did know God. But he didn't like God's plan. He didn't like what God was doing and what God was willing to do. See, we we have a a, a view of justice that's different than God. Because our justice is always tainted by revenge. We, We don't look at just justice... We look at justice and revenge. We might not call it that, but we look at what someone's done. When someone is accused of something and it's a crime, oftentimes we'll be harsher on that person than even the law will be. And sometimes it's because we think they deserve more unless it happens to us. And that's the thing about mercy and grace. We're all, it's all great when it happens to us, but God's grace, but it's not great when it happens to them. And here's the thing about God. God will save. God is after not only the oppressed. He's after the oppressed. Everybody knows that from reading the scripture. God loves the oppressed. He wants to bless the oppressed. He wants to save the oppressed. But he's not just after the oppressed. God is after the oppressor. God that God wants to reach the oppressor, and we think the oppressor shouldn't be reached. It should be the oppressed. You know, it's the it's the person who's who's been uh, who suffered at the hands of another, not the person who gave and made caused the suffering. They shouldn't get that grace. It should only be them. And God thinks differently than we do. And Jonah doesn't like it, but God has a bigger plan. 
Have you ever had, have you ever thought, you know, God, I've actually said this to God. I know nobody else might have done this, but I've actually said this to God. You know, God, if I was God, I probably wouldn't do it the way you're doing it. You know, I've told God, you know, Lord, I really don't like what's going on. I know I don't get it all. I know I don't understand it all, but I don't like it. I, I just think you could have done it a different way. But you know what the fact is? I really believe that when we actually get to heaven, we get everything, we'll have that aha moment. You know, when we actually get to heaven, we get the whole picture, we go, oh, I get it now. We can't get it. We, can't, we won't get it ahead of time. And some things just absolutely will never make sense to us while we're here. We just don't have that capacity. But someday you will have that ability. You'll see the glory and nature of God. You won't, it's not that you'll have to figure everything out when you get to heaven. I don't think you're, you'll care then once you're there with him. But I think you'll understand. I think that there'll be a clarity of God's plan fully. And when you see the whole thing, you go, oh, okay, now I get it. We, we just don't know how things connect. That's the problem. We have no idea how this connects with this and how this connects with this. But I can tell you this, this is what I believe, that if we obey God and we serve God in the midst of whatever challenge, whatever we're we're facing, that if we'll do that, the most amount of people will become saved as a result of our obedience to God. The most amount. See, people will get saved that otherwise wouldn't. You know when I was in the hospital here a few years ago? There, was, there were nurses that got saved. There were people who got saved in the hospital that would have never, we had never touched. Never touched. You say, and I, I tell you, when I was, when I was there and sitting in the hospital in pain, I, I, I was going, Lord, I don't really like your plan. And, and I don't think it was really God's plan. I don't think he gave me the sickness, but I think he would use it. But I don't like his plan. I don't think it was a good one. I just think there was better ways to do it. Just tell me to go to the hospital and I'll talk to the nurse. You know? There's ways. But, but you can't always know. You just don't. And you have to trust God in all of that. You have to make a decision that you're going to believe God. You're going to trust him. You, you do that because he knows more. Well, let's, I don't, I'm getting away from the story. Let's go on. Um, he, said, he said this. For I know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I know that about you. I knew this year you're going to do this. You know, Jesus made an interesting statement. The, the religious people of the day, the Pharisees, were oppressing the people and about the Sabbath. And that's what, you know, remember Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He was, he was redefining how they looked at the, the commandments. That, that the commandments were for them. And the, the Sabbath was not meant for, to oppress man or for, you know, the, the, the Sabbath was made for man. It was for the benefit. God had a heart of mercy and compassion for people when he, put, when he, when he said to, told them to obey the Sabbath. So in that context, Jesus said this, go learn what this means. Now, if Jesus is saying, go learn what this means, do you think we ought to learn what it means? Okay. He's telling him ahead. He says, go learn what this means. You need to learn what, it, what this means. 
I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. It says, you need to go learn what this means because you, you don't get it. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, and he's actually quoting from the Old Testament where they had oppressed the people and yet they're making all these sacrifices. They have all these sacrifices, they have the, all these holy days, and they're using them as a religious, you know, to bludgeon these people with it instead of understanding what it is that God and the heart of God and all this. And they've turned God, they've turned the character of God to the, in the eyes of the people. They've changed the character of God in the eyes of the people. And the people see God in a way that they shouldn't be seeing. They see him as this harsh, judgmental God, and he's not. And so he, Jesus says, you go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because they're making all kinds of sacrifices. But they, didn't, they weren't merciful. And we can say the same thing. You might, be, you might be good at sacrificing. You might say, you know, I tithe and I come to church regularly and I, you know, and in whatever kind of service you do and all these different things. But if you have, if you have a judgmental uh, attitude and spirit, if you, have, if you don't have mercy and grace, then you are not walking in this, in, in the way that the Lord wants, and your sacrifices don't mean anything. You see, if, if all you have is grace, then you have compromise. If all you have is truth, then you have judgment. All you have is judgment. But if you have truth and grace, now you have the true gospel. The gospel is truth and grace. The commandments were given to, to lead you to Christ. So you can't uh, uh, eliminate that. Jonah was not to, didn't go, God didn't tell Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them this wonderful plan I have for their life. I want you to walk through Nineveh and go, I have, God has this wonderful plan for your life. Just come and receive this wonderful plan because their problem was not knowing it wasn't not knowing the wonderful plan of God. Their problem was that they were sinners and wicked and they needed to repent of their sin. And so if they, they had to be confronted with their sin, I, I'm concerned, I'm concerned today about the fact that too much of the gospel uh, is the, the truth of sin is left out. We need a savior, and you only need a savior if you're a sinner. And so you can only be born again if you turn from your sin and turn to God, if you repent and turn to Christ. That is the gospel. It is the faith and belief that Jesus died for your sins. There's no, that element of the gospel is not important if you don't know or at least believe that you're a sinner. And that, so the truth has to be proclaimed so that a person can understand that there is a sin and there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And the message of the gospel includes both. So Jonah, he goes out and all he does is give the law and it was enough. All he had to do was, he gave the truth and the truth was enough, which is really rare. 
And it's not the message that we are to give. We're to give the full message of the gospel. There is sin, and you have to repent and turn from your sin. But there is, there is God's grace and mercy, and he's ready to enfold you. Jesus died for your sins and paid for, you, for, your, for your, your sins in your life. He is the Savior. So, I'm going to move quickly through the rest of it. Now, therefore now, Lord, Jonah says, Therefore now, Lord... Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Woe is me. I Just kill me. That's what he's saying. Just kill me, Lord. And it's so bad. You, okay, Jonah, I saved these people who you hate. Now you want me to kill you. Okay. And the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Now, this is a, a syncretic method of teaching. It, it is asking questions. God does this. In fact, if you'll notice that when someone asked Jesus a question, the majority of the time, Jesus' response was either to tell a story or to ask a question back. The majority of the time, he asked a question. He would ask a question to get the truth out and to get what's going on. So he's asking this question is it right for you to be angry? I just saved these people. Is it right for you to be angry? See, because Jonah wants not just justice, he wants revenge. And Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Now, as he's sitting on the east side of the city, as the sun's going, it, it's hitting him right in the face. He, he, he's facing it. And, this, and it says, there he made himself a shelter and sat under the shade Till, till he might see what would come of the city. Now he's looking out in hopes that God's going to destroy the city, and God isn't. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah. So this plant comes and grows over Jonah and really shades him up. And look at what it says, if you're reading it from your text. It says that it, that, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Is that, isn't that the good God we have? And Jonah's saying, kill me. And Jonah's mad at God. And you know what? Most of our problems in life are about being mad at God. Most of our... I have, I have encountered so many people who have been backslidden, and they choose to turn from God. They face the consequences of that choice to be away from God, you find out, and sometimes, a lot of times you'll hear them say, I don't believe in God anymore, right? Or they believe in some strange concept of God that doesn't have sin. And you wonder, what, what's, the, the, what's the outcome? You dig deeper, and almost always it comes to, there was a, something that happened in their life, they became angry at God, they blame God, they, they live in this anger against God, and they distance themselves from God because they're angry at God because God didn't do something the way they thought it should happen. And I think in some ways it's because there's been bad, a bad concept in their mind about who God is. That somehow God is like Santa Claus and he needs to take care of them in the way that they think he needs to take care of them instead of us being the servants of God and he is the master. And we go, you know, and there are things that happen in our life that even, and we blame God for that isn't even God anyhow, but that's simply, so, so is it right for you to be angry, he asked them. 
So Jonah went out in the city, and he, he, he's sitting there, and God prepares this wonderful plant to give him shade. And it says, so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now he's happy. God did something for him. You know, God did something. God did something he didn't like. He's angry. He's, he's kill me. Now God does something for me. I'm happy. Thank you, Lord. You're so wonderful. See, he's ready. So God goes, God is, I love God. Love the way he works sometimes when it's on other people. But now as morning's dawning the next day, God prepared a worm and it was so, so, so damaged the plant that it withered. So God, God prepared a fish. Then, then God, you know, he, he prepared a plant. Now God prepares a worm. God's at work. God's preparing stuff for us, folks. And we're all happy when God prepares the plant. But, you know, kill me, Lord, when God prepares the fish, when God prepares the worm. And that's what happened. It withered away, and it happened when the sun rose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head. And now there's a wind prepared so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself. Kill me again, Lord. You know, the ultimate in your face to God, the ultimate, you know, get back to God is suicide. And I know that not everybody that commits suicide, sometimes there's mental issues that come in people's lives, but the majority of the time, it's just this anger has gotten to this hatred has gotten to this place in people's lives. I'm not only going to get back to the people around me, but I'm going to get back at God. And no one has a right to take their life because God gave us that life. And so, so what happens? Well, Jonah says, kill me. You prepared a worm. My, my shade's gone. I'm in the heat. Might as well die. And God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it right? Hey, how's being angry working for you? How's it working? Doing all right? Like this? I mean, how's it working for you? Yeah, you're angry all the time? Huh? Angry at what's going on? Angry with life? Angry with others? Angry with God? How's it working for you? Doing pretty good? God asked the question. No, it doesn't work. See, there is, listen, anger is not a sin. Not all anger. Not all anger is a sin. In fact, the Bible says to be angry but sin not. And God gets angry. But God's anger is a righteous indignation. That's the kind of anger. In fact, there is a certain kind of anger that if you don't have it, you don't love. There's a certain kind of anger, if you don't have it, you're not fair. You're not just. There, there are certain things that ought to cause you to be angry. There ought to be a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. 
But Jonah's anger, God has asked him, do you, do you have a right to, I mean, do you have a right to do this? Is this a righteous indignation? No, this is a woe is me indignation. This is, oh, it could be better for me. Oh, my life, my poor life. God, and you're angry because you have, and you, you want things to be different and they just aren't. Well, some of that is a learning process. Some of that is God wants to teach you how to live according to his word and be blessed in that regard. Some of it has other things to do with it. But the, the point is this, that you need to ask that question. God asked that question. Do you have a right to be angry? Really? Would you ask that question to yourself? In fact, would you turn to the person near you, across the cars here, maybe uh, in the table, just turn and say, hey, do you have a right to be angry? Do you, have, do, do, you, do you have a real right to be angry? Jonah says, yeah, I have a right to be angry, he says. Even to death, I have a right to be angry. And the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored. You're all right with that, right? And the plant dies, you're all angry. You had pity on the plant... Nor you, but you didn't labor for it. You didn't make it grow, which it came up at night and, per, and perished in, in the night. And shouldn't I not pity Nineveh, that great city, which, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. In other words, they're children. There's 120,000 thousand children they can't discern between their right hand and their left and then he adds this and there's livestock there's animals i mean if that doesn't get you if you don't care about the kids right because they're the kids of the ninevites then you know how about the dogs and cats and cows how about that you okay with that see you'll have mercy on all these but you won't have mercy on on them what about that? How much of what God is doing in our life is ultimately to save the most amount of people as possible? And he's asking us to live in a, such a way. And that sometimes can cause challenges and difficulties. And God gets the last word. The story ends right there. The book ends abruptly. It seems like there's something missing, but it isn't. Jonah writes the story. And because Jonah writes the story, you have to assume that that, that last point that God made was enough. Jonah got it. And you, you know that because when Jonah writes the story, if he hadn't have gotten it, he would have written in such a way that he looked like a hero. Right? If he, had, if he hadn't got it. But because he got it, he puts all, he put, you know, he writes the whole story. He, he writes about his failures and, you know, warts and all. He's got it all in there. Because he got it. And we need to get it too. You're going through things, I'm sure, challenges in your life. I can tell you this. God is wanting to teach us things, help us to learn things. So ultimately, we can be used of God in the great, to the greatest level to get the most people to heaven. And if God's goal, 
Let me tell you, what is a more noble or important or valuable goal than getting the most people to heaven? What is more important than that? Is there anything? We're talking about eternity here. And a lot of times, all of our complaints are about things that are very temporal. They're little things. And isn't that God doesn't care? That's the wonderful thing about God. He cares about you being, you know, in the sun too long. All, all you know, those of you out here that have, you know, you gotten out of the shade. He cares about that. He wants you to be, he, he wants you to be comfortable. He, he, he helped Jonah just to make him feel comfortable. He, he cares about those. He doesn't, that he doesn't. It's just that if being in the sun means that something could happen that happens that happens and over here all of a sudden someone gets saved. Maybe you coming and sitting and being in the sun or in your car, which some of you are in a hot car right now and and let's just use that. That's, that's, you know. But you're hearing a message that touches your heart. And the next time you come across somebody that you would normally just throw off and say they can't get saved. And you think about, well, wait. The Ninevites were worse than that person. Maybe God will. And maybe you become open. Maybe you share a little love to them. You might not even leave them to Christ. But it's the, the, it's the impetus by which they then become a follower of Jesus, and you never even saw the outcome of that. I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing out stuff. Things happen that way in our life. And as we follow Jesus and say yes to him, well, then the opportunities for the greatest amount of people to get saved will be saved. And you will touch people. I, I know I know of a lady who, her and her husband, actually, in Hollywood, she was the prostitute in Hollywood. Her husband was, was, the, was the, her pimp. Several years, they, they worked Hollywood. And someone preaching on the street corner in Hollywood was sharing the gospel, handed a track. He got saved by that track that he heard. She got saved. I know they, they came actually to our church and ministered and shared. They, they, they started a ministry in Hollywood. This, they started it in the 70s. It's still going. Thousands, thousands of young girls and young boys have been rescued by them. Thousands off the streets of, of Hollywood. And that ministry is still going today because somebody, Jesus said, go to your Nineveh, you know, Hollywood's Nineveh, you know, and Vegas is Nineveh. You know what I mean? Go down there, and they were preaching the gospel, and, and probably, you know, just kind of uh, not, not a professional just doing what they thought they should and handed a track to a couple who ended up reaching thousands of people, taking up kids off the streets, getting them help, getting, making a ministry, all because of a decision. Can I say, can I say to you, God wants to use you to maximize the capacity of the kingdom of heaven. God wants to use you 
And if you just say yes, yes to Jesus, he'll find a way to use you. He'll find a way. Well, Father, we thank you. Today I want to ask God for all those, Lord, who are listening who don't know you and would say, I need Jesus. And I want to just say, if you don't have Jesus in your life, if you've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to say you need him. Everybody needs him. You need him. And if you have not accepted Christ, it, you cannot, you're not just a Christian because you go, I'm a Christian now. You're not a Christian because somebody else is a Christian. You're not a Christian because you're listening to the sermon. You're a Christian when you personally repent and turn to Jesus Christ and ask him to be the Lord of your life and believe that his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection was for your salvation. And you say, Jesus, be the master and Lord of my life. Jesus will come in and he'll place his Holy Spirit in you and you will be changed. You will become and you instantly become a child of God. Father, I thank you. And I just, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I invite you, Jesus, into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and help me to follow you from this day forward. I believe, Lord God, I believe you are my Savior now. And I ask you to help me, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, you can go on our website, ccanaheim.com, and you can um, just, just tell us. Let us know that you received Christ. We have some information. We want to help you get started in your walk with God. Shall we close in worship? God bless you, church.
Come on, church, sing it out one more time. time. God is good. God bless you, church. Have a blessed day. We'll see you Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. for Bible study. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath Look